Welcome to the Horsewise Podcast with Lynn Reardon, where we share stories of horses and people and what they teach each other. On today's episode, I'll be talking with Erin Crady of Thoroughbred Charities of America. We discuss the evolution of thoroughbred aftercare, horsemanship education, and best of all, how Erin went from New York hunter jumper shows to rugged Western pack trips. I hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. So today on the podcast, we have Erin Crady. She's the executive director of one of my favorite organizations, Thoroughbred Charities of America. And welcome, Erin. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah, it's my first podcast. First podcast. <laughs> so this is great. So we're the best podcast out there. Absolutely. So perfect. So you're starting at the top. That's right. <laughs> so Erin, tell, tell our listeners a little bit about Thoroughbred Charities of America, and not only the good work that you do, but also like how long you've been there in your role. Sure, sure. Um, I've been at TCA for over 10 years now. Time flies when you're having fun, wow. right? Uh, but TCA, Thoroughbred Charities of America, we are a grant-making organization. Um, so we provide funding to charities, approved charities across the country that are working to uphold our mission. And our mission supports both thoroughbred aftercare, mm -hmm. as well as backstretch and farm employee programs. So we're really twofold in that we help horses as well as we help humans. It's a really, um, it's really important to kind of, we feel to be that, that well-rounded entity that's supporting um, both sides. Um, on the aftercare side, we support not only the organizations that are rehabbing, retraining, rehoming, and in some instances retiring, uh, but we also support many of the incentive-based organizations oh, how cool. that are working to create a demand or a market for thoroughbreds once they come from the aftercare facilities because it's really important, you know, if a horse is rehabbed, retrained, rehomed, okay, there's got to be a market out there, there's got to yes. be a demand for that horse to move kind of through the pipeline and then the next horse retiring from the track can come in and take its place and, and so forth. So there's some great incentive programs out there. Of course, the Thoroughbred Makeover, yes. Retired Racehorse Project Thoroughbred Makeover is probably the biggest well-known uh, organization. And TCA has been the presenting sponsor of the Thoroughbred Makeover since the very beginning. They're at Pimlico. Right. Um, so we support that organization. And then there's also uh, the Take Two program in right. New York that does great work incentivizing uh, hunter jumper riders to choose a Thoroughbred as their next mount as well as the um, Thoroughbred Incentive Program uh, with the Jockey Club. We, we support them with funding as well. And then um, there, we also support some equine-assisted therapy organizations. There are many out there also doing wonderful work. Um, so yeah, TCA, we're pretty, pretty well-rounded. We try to, to help as many as we can. We're, we're lean and mean to two <laughs> full-time staffers, but uh, we get a lot done. You do a lot of, you do a lot of good with two, only two full-time staff. I was shocked when I discovered that. That yeah. was the degree of your staffing because you're present everywhere. And <laughs> I mean, those, my listeners know that I also founded LOPE, a racehorse adoption charity in Texas. And while I'm not full-time all the time there, I'm mm -hmm. doing a lot more with HorseWise now, I, that's, that's how I became the teacher that I am today is because of working with these great ex-racehorses. And I know that from the start with Lope, back in the day, we started in 2003 or something, mm -hmm. TCA was always one of the primary movers and shakers of aftercare. And there aren't very many organizations that have been around for that length of time. You guys have really seen the big change in the, the whole, yeah the evolution of aftercare yeah, yeah. we really have and it. it's really it's really interesting next year will be TCA's 30th 
anniversary. It's so amazing. So we yeah. were we were started in 1990 by our dear founders Herb and Ellen Molis mm -hmm. and the late Hilaire Dupont um, up in the Mid Atlantic area. And Herb and Ellen still have their Candyland farm oh, up there, so cool. and yeah. uh, I speak to them every every now and then. Um, but they uh, tell a, an interesting story. I, I never had the opportunity to meet Alaire, but they tell me a great story about her, where um, she went to a racetrack one day, and this is you know back back in the in the days before thoroughbred aftercare was kind of as as at the forefront as it is now. Um, and she saw some thoroughbreds abandoned at the track. You know, oh, the track, geez. the racing had ended, and um, and the Lara thought to herself, you know, this this can't be. We have to we have to fix this. And she wrote a letter in what was um, at the time, uh, well now it's the Mid Atlantic Thoroughbred Magazine. It was it had a previous name at that time, but she wrote a letter about we need to do better as an industry. And uh, Herb and Ellen Molas read the letter, and of course they called her, <laughs> and kind of you know one thing led to another, and eventually they held a fundraiser in their home at Candyland Farm, and uh, they raised about fifteen thousand dollars. This was in 1990, and granted it to the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. And then uh, the next year, the the event grew, and um, fast forward, and uh, you know, to today, it's still still our largest annual fundraiser. It has become our stallion season auction. Right. Um, but that has that that sort of uh, early beginning of TCA has now you know helped over. We've granted twenty over twenty three million wow. to more than two hundred charities. That's amazing. Yeah. And it all started in. In the living room. In the living room. <laughs> I mean, it was a really nice living room. Yes, granted. yes it was. <laughs> it was a nice one. Yeah. I really love that story, and I think yeah. that's the type of history that people, like I said, many of my listeners aren't necessarily coming from the thoroughbred industry or thoroughbred background, but mm -hmm. just understanding how close-knit this industry can be and yes. how many people really, historically, from always back in the day and to the current era, people really get involved with these horses, not just... Mm -hmm bringing them into the world, breeding them, and getting them started to run, but afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I've always noticed that. I've always felt like this industry is really good to partner with, personally. Yeah. And it would have been hard for me to, again, back when I was doing Lope all the time, mm -hmm. it would have been hard for me to keep doing that work if I didn't feel like there were people who cared in the industry. So I... Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, we have some of the most you know generous donors. We're we're 100% um, charitable organizations. We right. don't receive uh, mandated funds from any source, um, so we can only give because of our donors. Right. You know. So yes, there there is a great amount of support from the industry. Um, you know, and and the the horses horses are so universal. I mean, it, the love for the horse is is just there, and um, I think. Certainly, many owners, trainers. You're not in this in this industry if you don't love the horse. That's no. why you're you're in it right. to begin with. No, I agree. You know? yeah. Which brings me to my question about how did you did you grow up with horses or I did. Saying? Yeah, I grew up. Um, I've kind of lived all over, but I grew up uh, riding hunter jumpers. Uh, so you know, English English riding, little equitation, little hunter, little right. jumper, kind of did it all. Um, the last horse I owned was an off-the-track thoroughbred. Ah. Yeah, yeah. Her name was uh, Wake Up Smiling. Great name. She, I still have her jockey club papers. I think she won a grand total of like maybe six hundred and seventy-eight dollars. <laughs> it was three digits. A hard knocker. Yeah, she was. She was. But she was my equitation horse, oh, cool. and this was um, kind of in high school, college. Right. And uh, yeah, I mean, she taught me how to ride. That's Absolutely. Really cool. I mean, if you want to, if you want to learn how to ride, I've always said ride a thoroughbred because sure. 
They're going to teach you um, how to be patient, how to be quiet, how to um, ask politely without, yes. you know. The finesse. Uh, yeah, yes. yeah. They really, uh, she really, I, I feel like, kind of shaped my writing career. But, um, yeah, you know, I'm, I am a little partial to the thoroughbreds, of course, though. <laughs> yes, me too, me too. And uh, I basically fell into the thoroughbred world when someone took me to the backside of the track mm -hmm. when I was in my 30s. Mm -hmm. I'd never been back there, and I was like, what kind of, wow, I just was so amazed by their athleticism, and of course, the backside of a track, I always think is one, just a great place to be, particularly in the morning, watching the, just the gallops, and oh, yeah. I love it. So, uh, but I didn't grow up so much in a show environment, so I'm mm -hmm. always really interested in people who had that from the start, so that yeah. you really kind of understood the competitive nature of, of the horse, and, and. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't, you know, we weren't chasing points or anything like that. We were casual horse showers, you right. know, but it was certainly a family affair. You know, my mom, my dad, my sister, we would pack up the, we had a little Jeep Wagoneer, you know, with the wood <laughs> paneling on the side oh, cool. and uh, would pack up the Wagoneer and my dad would have his gas grill in there and make oh, cool. breakfast and lunch and sometimes dinner for the showgrounds. It was, it was quite the experience, but in, in the interim there, you know, we would, sneak into a couple a couple classes and hopefully bring home some ribbons uh -huh. and uh, you know it was it was a nice way to grow up it really was but yeah I always I don't have children but I've always said if I had children especially daughters mm -hmm. I would get them on horses yeah. because it just they, they teach you so much they they kept us out of my sister and I out of trouble you know <laughs> right. I, I didn't want to go to the mall right. I didn't want to go to prom I wanted to go to my horse shows oh, you know so cool. <laughs> so, and then did you yeah. continue to compete in college or I did I rode four years I rode on the equestrian team at St. Lawrence University oh, wow. in upstate New York. Yeah, and that was a really interesting time because I, you know, growing up in the horse show, sort of, as horses were my sport, um, that was in college was the first time I competed on a team. So in oh, a team wow. atmosphere, it was it was fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, all four years, and it was kind of a juggling act, you know, I between bet. practices because we had practices. Some, some days were at 6 a.m., you know, uh, 6 a.m. You, you had to be at the a, barn. You and, said your course load. You know, yeah, right. yeah, that, and tried to have a little fun, right. too. Right. Um, a social life so, of some yeah, kind. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it, was, it was great. We would do uh, horse shows, not every weekend, but maybe every other weekend or so. And St. Lawrence University is way upstate New York, so um, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. So we would have to travel, you know, usually a few hours to reach the, right. the showgrounds or wherever we were going. But... Um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And then, you know, kind of after college, I, I rode a little bit here and there. And I, I still, I don't own a horse now, but I have some friends with horses. So I'm sure if you live in good. Kentucky, you have some friends yes, with horses. Yes, <laughs> I do, I do. So it's always a nice way to, you know, still kind of keep my, my yeah. toe in the water and go for a ride every now and then. But over the last few years, I've kind of really gotten into horseback pack trips. Oh, really? Yes, yes. For me, it's the best vacation ever. Oh, tell me about um, that. Where you, so I've done three so far. The first year was in Montana. Second year was in um, just outside of Calgary in oh, Canada. Oh, beautiful. Uh, I'm sorry, that was the third year. The second year was um, in the Yukon in Canada. Oh, wow. It was amazing. So, yeah, you're literally on the back of a horse all day long in the mountains so far off the grid, the grid never exists. It would never <laughs> exist in many of the places we were. Um, and you, it, it kind of, it depends what, what you 
want. Um, some of my trips are you kind of ride out from different locations, mm -hmm. uh, ride out to different locations every day, but you come back the to central, the same place at camp. night. Right. Yeah. Um, although the trip in the Yukon was literally more of a pack trip. We packed up camp every wow. morning and then rode all day and then dropped camp at night. Sounds rugged. Um, it was. It was yeah. amazing. And for me, that's just that's the way to vacation. Just oh, off so the grid, no communication. Uh, um, but yeah. And yeah. I'm going to tell my listeners that, you know, I'm talking to Erin now and she's very sleek. She looks very, <laughs> like if you saw her walking the street, you'd think maybe, oh, she's a model, you <laughs> well, know, very, you. very urban, you know. And so I'm really impressed that you yeah. are so rugged. Oh, and uh, I'll show you. I'll, she's, maybe she's, I'll she's, send you this picture. Yeah. But, um, she's, she's, now, she's now verifying this with photographic evidence. That's, uh, oh, what a great shot. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we'll share this on the show notes, this, yeah, if you don't yeah. mind. Not at that all. Photo. Not at all. And if you want to let us know, too, like, you know, the outfitters or whatever, we'd be glad to give them a shout oh, out as cool. well. Oh, yeah, cool. Because yeah. they were great. Yeah. I, you know, I just kind of Googled and um, came upon these three now great outfitters. Yeah. And, now, um, I want to do this now. Yeah, you should do it. I, I mean, it sounds like so much fun. It really, really is. I mean, you just, you have a lot of time. Obviously, you're, you're on the back of a horse for up to eight hours a day. Just, you know, a lot of time to think or yeah. just not think. Let your mind right. wander. Enjoy the scenery. And, you know, seeing that sort of country you can really only see it from the back of a right horse. that's what you i was know, thinking too so, so special about it that really is something yeah. that's unique about the horse where that where the horse can take you literally mm -hmm. yeah and i was also thinking as you were describing your vacation how a complete contrast it is to your work life because you are <laughs> you are plugged in all the time i mean that's the nature right. of of the kind of work you do and then organizationally i'm sure there's always social media there's always meetings there's always just important collaborations and partnerships like you That's are right. on call on, on the right here at the ready yeah yeah, yeah we, we certainly are there's like I think we said two of us here full-time in the TCA right. office so um, we try to do a lot with with uh, what we have but it's important to us to really kind of keep a lot of the administrative costs of this organization sure. low because we're a grant-making organization the more money we can grant out to our grant recipients, you know, the more impact right. we can have in helping more horses and people. So that's important to us. But um, kind of circling back, yeah, in uh, 2016 it was, we established the Horses First Fund, right. which is our emergency um, uh, fund that was put together by great donors of ours, Ellen J. Foxwoods, uh. Jamie Roth is on our board. and wonderful people, but that um, came out of, there was a large abandonment case here in, in Kentucky, uh, 42 horses, I believe, mostly thoroughbreds were abandoned. Um, so just kind of the nature of it being in our backyard, we really kind of stepped up to the plate and um, assisted with mm -hmm. uh, the placement of the horses and kind of, um, you know, when, when we went to the farm, there was really you know, not a whole lot there in terms of uh, farm supplies and mm -hmm. wheelbarrows and pitchforks and basic things like things, that, basic, right. basic needs basic. that you know you need to take care of horses. Um, so we we helped with a lot of that, but um, that that whole experience led to this Horses First Fund, um, which has been really great for us. I think it, we're filling a niche that didn't really Completely. exist, um, right. you know, prior. So. Um, yeah, we, we've used this Horses First Fund for the abandonment case here in Kentucky, uh, in Puerto Rico with mm -hmm. Hurricane Maria, which was just a devastating experience. Uh, then San Luis Rey Downs, yes. uh, of course, in California, the fires out there. 
Um, and then, you know, there have been some other neglect in, in welfare cases that have come up involving thoroughbreds that we've been able to acti activate the fund for. So, yeah, it's kind of in terms of planning things, you know, um, it is good to have two people in the office yes. because you never know when the next natural disaster or catastrophe might well, hit. Again, I have um, to commend so. you for the just the incredible ninja-like delegation <laughs> skills you must have because my listeners know that... Uh, we had some involvement in Puerto Rico ourselves. It was very small on the side of Lope yeah. where we took in a couple of horses, uh, one of whom had, had experienced pretty extreme trauma. Mm -hmm. And then also we took a clinic there with an incredible horseman named Gary Bailey, who I always put his name out there. He's wonderful and just a great kind of professional development and all around education because we kind of saw the need there and they asked us to come in the track invited us and uh, Horsewise provided a little organizational advice but primarily what I remember was just that during that phase when it was so difficult to get planes in mm -hmm. because again when you have a, a, a disaster of that level from a humanitarian point of view FEMA has to take over their access is limited I mean yeah. it's just one of those things that happened and uh, Basically, TCA is the one that organized that. I mean, I know you worked with a lot of other groups. I know there was Ranch Aid and, and the American Association of Equine Practitioners, many other groups, but... The Jockey Club. The Jockey Brooks Club, Club yeah, Ledge, Horse, right. Yeah, yeah. And of course, the, um, the actual plane that you eventually got also came through. Through TCA. Yeah, through TCA, so... Yeah, I still get chills actually thinking about, or talking about Puerto Rico, because it was probably one of the most emotionally challenging um, experiences I've been through working for TCA and, and, and for us the whole sort of disastrous response at that point was pretty new because we really yeah. you know that fund has only been around for uh, uh, three years now um, but yeah I you know the I remember when watching the news and, and seeing the hurricane hit and then um, a few days later Shelly um, at Caribbean Thoroughbred yes. Aftercare, great reached, group, great right. group, great reached group. out, and I had never, I think I had heard of them, but I had never talked to Shelly or right. Kelly, who's their uh, person there in Puerto Rico, um, and Shelly, you know, of course, told me the, the situation, and, uh, you know, we, we tried to kind of activate all of our the people in the network that we could kind of right. think to bring together, um, and we, we quickly found out that, you know, um, yeah, there were essentially a thousand thoroughbreds stranded at the racetrack. And I had had no idea, again, peripheral involvement, you know, in, in thoroughbred aftercare to some degree, you know, we're smaller, localized in Texas, but I had no idea that there were that many horses there. I, I remember I just being so shocked, yeah. you know? Yeah, I, I same. Um, so, yeah, through this, you know, somehow Kelly, who was in Puerto Rico, Kelly Stoby, I don't know if she went to a mountaintop or whatever, but somehow during you know the af immediate aftermath of Maria, she was able to get cell phone service somehow. I don't know how she's again, got how like she ninja powers. She's, she's like amazing. MacGyver. She, she is, is like MacGyver. She's like MacGyver. She, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, MacGyver, um, MacGyver uh, on some kind of amphetamine. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. So she managed to you start to relay some of what she was seeing uh, there, not only. Um, over the phone, too. but yeah. pictures, right. yeah, so it just became more real hearing her voice and seeing the pictures, and you know, I, I just remember thinking we, we've got, we've we've got to, to do, do something, something. How, do, what, how do we make this happen, and we had 
you know, assembled a great team with AAP, Keith Klein, and the Jockey Club, and Brookledge, and uh, Ranch Aid, right. and many more players. And we had, you know, tons of donations, in-kind donations. Yeah, ready hay, to go. Hay right. and grain, ready vet to supplies. go. Yeah, yeah, vet supplies, satellite phones, right. ready to go. And we, we couldn't get it in there. I mean, we, no. we talked to everyone we could think of from cruise ship companies to commercial airliners to private jet companies to any anyone and everyone we could think of. And we were just kind of stri striking out right right and left and, because and I guess FEMA had taken over a lot of right. the aviation you know, during the- they, they have to, and then just yeah. to interrupt for briefly for our listeners. So the situation was growing more dire there because the horses at the track were essentially trapped there um, they couldn't really, you know, transportation was at a complete standstill. And the roofs had been off some of the buildings. Many of the horses were standing in muck, which, again, our listeners all know, I think. If they're listening to Horsewise, they know how dangerous that is yeah. for laminitis founder, sure. colic. Sure. Um, and then there was no food. Right. So hay production was at a standstill, and there would have been no way to transport the hay if it had still been produced. Uh, vet supplies were running out. Uh, I know Kelly told me at one point they were rationing a quarter bucket of water a day for yep. the horses. Yep. So you guys are there with all these supplies knowing this is happening. Right. And, and uh, you know, we couldn't find any way to transport it there. We looked into cargo ships. We mm -hmm. looked into perhaps flying it commercially to one of the, um, is it St. Thomas, one of the islands Run, nearby and then, and then shipping it over right. in a, on a cargo ship. I mean, literally, I, w I looked at every single option I could possibly imagine. Um, and then finally, one of our board, and I had been keeping my board in the loop about, you know, our mm -hmm. daily progress and things like that. And each day, I pretty much said, anyone, know anyone with a plane? I need a plane, you know? <laughs> a plane. Could be a small um, plane. Yeah, plane. anything. Right. Get me a plane. Someone get me a plane. So... One of our board members, Terry Finley, has this amazing contact to um, Vinnie Viola, who uh, Saint, I think it's Saint Elias Racing Stable. Oh, you're right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I guess Mr. Viola is um, a partner or part owner of an aviation company, a private aviation company, and lo and behold, somehow he moved heaven and earth, and we were able to get a, a plane. That's so great. Um, that was just for for supplies for the, the horses. So we get the plane, we get the plane all, all low, or we get all the supplies there in Miami, um, and I'm thinking, okay, it's going to go, it's going to happen. Right. And then we find out we missed, I, can't, I learned a lot about uh, terminology that I had never learned before, and I've forgotten some of it now, but it's something about we missed a slot or something because it had been taken over by FEMA. Uh -huh. um, because, of course, the humanitarian... Of course, yeah. You know, and, and I completely totally. understand that. Like, totally, yeah. You know, it had been, there had been water and food for people that was needed to get in into that slot. Absolutely, so, yeah. Um, anyway, we got back, bumped back a couple days. So I was cautiously, cautiously optimistic about, okay, maybe, maybe this maybe will be the day, right, you know? Right. And uh, yeah, we finally, I remember it was, the plane was leaving, it was early in the morning, I want to say it was like five or six, and I was refreshing my phone to <laughs> see? see if it, yeah, I was sitting in my, is it, is it in my bedroom, <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> are we airborne? <laughs> refresh, 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 and finally it, it had departed, oh. and it was just such a big uh, sigh of relief, oh <laughs> it my really gosh. was, yeah. and then, um, yeah, when the, the plane landed, Kelly was there with her, her army that yes, she rallied Kelly's up army, yeah, right, from right. somewhere. And it was just such a kind of a, 
in many ways a perfect scenario, if you will, in that you know Kelly had all of these resources at her disposal because I think her husband owns a, a some sort of trucking co yes. company, so he was able to to get all of the trucks that were needed to transport. Um, and Kelly works for a shipping company, mm -hmm. so she was able to get to the cargo area of the airport, you know, where I think anyone else would have had a lot of these barriers right. with FEMA. And with she's a ninja, yeah. And she's a ninja, ninja too, right? Which really helps. MacGyver ninja, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, for sure. Um, so on, on the island side, you know, things went pretty pretty smoothly from my perspective. I don't think Kelly would probably say that. There were a lot of stops and stuff. I think, I think she probably, the thing she didn't share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, once we were able to to get the the supplies in there, um, that was a, a big relief. And then there were two, two or three actually, I think three subsequent flights, mm. um, two or three before uh, feed production and hay production was restored to the island. So. Mm. Yeah, it I was think quite an experience. And you guys made the key difference because I think you were the first major, I mean, it was the first major delivery of those kind of supplies. For the horses. For the yeah, horses, yeah. yeah. And so was. how long after the hurricane hit was two that? Weeks. Wow. Two weeks. Two weeks. So that's a long time, yeah. you know? Yeah, it was. It yeah. was. And it just, you know, hearing the, the desperation in Kelly's voice and yeah. we were trying to keep her positive and, you know, yeah. meanwhile, she's... I'm sure her personal property and family, you know, yeah. who knows, she had so much else going on, but she was really kind of the rallying force there yeah. to, to, true, true, to her, the track. Truly heroic. Yeah. Yeah, everybody was, including yeah. TCA. Yeah, thank so, you. Thank you. Uh, it was a team effort on this yeah, side. For sure, for sure. For sure. For sure. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was incredible. And then, you know, that kind of, for us, uncovered, um, or we, we were able to learn about some of the challenges that Kelly and CTA really faced in Puerto Rico yes. um, on the aftercare side. So we, um, my pres or the, the president of TCA, his name is Mike McMahon, right. he runs Bourbon Lane Racing. Um, he and I actually traveled to Puerto Rico in January, um, a few post hurricane, po yeah. -hurricane. Um, and we, we just kind of wanted to get a lay of the land and yes. talk to some of the leaders down there and see perhaps how we could help, how we could right. um, grow any aftercare efforts down there or provide any advice or, you know, just, just be supportive. Really, yeah, yeah. kind of yeah. understand some of their challenges. Right. Um, there, there's certainly a lot of challenges in horse racing all around. For sure. Um, and being on an island, too. Being on an island. So That's aftercare removed. is very... It can yeah. be very, there's, there's less options in sure, terms of, there's no space. There's, there's no space, space, literally. Yeah, yeah literally. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, we took a trip down there and it was very eye-opening. We met with um, most of the groups. We met with the, the racing administrator. Mm -hmm. There's a couple owners groups, a couple breeders groups, uh, veterinarians. Uh, we really tried to get a good lay mm -hmm. of, of the land down there. Um, and we came back and we offered them um, some suggestions. Mm -hmm. You know, we thought there was maybe a lot of low-hanging fruit. Um, and made these suggestions, and um, happy to say that they did take some major steps forward. Oh um, yeah! And working with CTA directly, having CTA days at the track, yes. offering them surrender stalls directly on the track. So, I mean, there's more work to be done in aftercare in general. Well, um, uh, and I, I would, done yeah, I would say that it's really that improved. was a big difference that you yeah. were able. Also, it's it's also in a way mentoring because sure. if you're not if you're here on the on the mainland and you're a track or a very active part of the race, you know about aftercare and also how to 
how to set up essentially systems, mm -hmm. right? And help the, the trainers know that there are options, things like that. Like I said, on an island, there are fewer options by default. Right. So uh, I'm really glad you did that. And also from the perspective of the, the clinic that well, exactly. Okay. That, that wouldn't have happened if I think if you guys hadn't sort of laid, and we were invited, which was really just to us very compelling. Like we were like, that's just great. And that's know? exactly that's one of the things that we talked with them about was you know um, we were talking more in the context of um, setting up like a, a groom. Some of these tracks do uh, best turned out horses. Yes. Yes. Um, whereas you know if if. If you're the the groom of the horse that's selected as best turned out, you're going to get a cash prize. Therefore, you as the groom are incentivized to keep your horse in, in good right. condition and right. you know maybe take pride go a little in that. extra mile there. Yeah. So yeah, in, in having a lot of those discussions, we talked about education mm -hmm. and educating uh, trainers, back backstretch workers, grooms, hot walkers, and I think. Hopefully, from some of those conversations so. came right. the clinics, so. and we and we brought somebody again. The the teacher that we brought had, you know, worked for Bill Shively for many years. Really understood how to prepare for performance. Mm -hmm. Also, how to do it in a way that's low stress for the handlers and the horse, because mm -hmm. that's what best performance is all about. Sure. And then he'd also done a lot with horses after they came back from the track, so he knew about preparing them and. Mm -hmm. Also, how you prepare a horse as its career is ending at the track. Mm -hmm. This is something that comes up now and then. I think even Sarah at New Vocations and I talked about this a little bit, like the difference between retiring the horse two races earlier. Sometimes that can be the difference between, it's not even injury, but just needing more layoff time, needing more letdown time. And the horse is sort of set up for success in the second career. It's a subtle thing, but it does, it can help right? Oh, and, absolutely. And then you provide good feedback, you incentivize it so that the, the trainers, understandably so, would feel important that they are making that choice for their horse. You know, when they're getting to that point where the, the return on investment is not as high. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's in the best interest of the horse, number one, most importantly, but number two, it's an economic decision too. Right. You know, if I, I, uh, TCA is the charitable arm of the Thoroughbred Owners and Breeders Association, and I um, at some of their, uh, Toba puts on new ownership seminars. Oh, and right. at some of their Those seminars, are right. they are, they're wonderful. Um, I speak about their word retirement. And one of the points I always, always try to drive home is number one, have an end game for your horse. What's yes. your retirement plan? You know, is it when he reaches this class of racing or at this point in his career, whatever it may be, but also importantly, you know, know when to say when. Right. It's important that you don't kind of push for that one last race. Right. You know, if you see that your horse is dropping in class, he's not competitive anymore, he doesn't have that same will to run that perhaps right. he used to, um, cut your losses. Right. Retire him while he's sound. Right. Let him go on to a second career where he can, you know, excel as a jumper or hunter or, you know, whatever. Um, because he's sound, right? So he has that that he's already ahead of the game because he's retiring sound. He can go and he's on trainable and do anything. And he's trainable, right? And you know you're cutting your losses, so you're stopping the day rate. You're stop it's the, no no more farrier bills, no more vet right. bills, no more right. trainer bills. Um, so yeah, it's it's in the best interest of the horse, but it's also it, it can be in the financial uh, best interest of the owner too. Right. No, I think that's great, yeah. and we also saw just this came up more or less anecdotally in the clinic that I was involved with and I was just administrating and planning um, 
but there can be these subtleties in being aware of patterns in your horse that can signal the start. As you said, they don't have that competitive fire. Little changes in how they're running, how they're, how they're working out. And it's not quite at a veterinary level, but it's, it's a precursor. Mm-hmm. It's, it's part of a pattern. And, um, you know, as our teacher kind of pointed out, there are things you look at and then you start to go, it might be time to look at this. We know this horse is eight and we're starting to see these, right, these changes. These changes. And it's not that necessarily the vet needs to be called, but it's setting up. So this would be a good time to look at that. Or if the horse is younger, let's say, and you know, certain things are starting to happen, but not unsound, mm-hmm. just maybe a little sour, not kind of maybe losing a little appetite. Yeah. This is a time to, to take a little break and reevaluate, right. or maybe then call the vet. Okay. So it's not that uh, there's widespread ignorance. It's more that if you've done high performance training for larger barns, you start to see those patterns more readily. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it was a cool way to share that. Like yeah, this is, this is one of the, how, how I got ahead was we, we, we got to know these horses. We, we had to get to know them quickly because we had so many of them. And these were like the starts of signs to pay attention to. This is how you get an edge as a, as a trainer or the overall performance of your barn is that you catch things sooner. Right. And so that was kind of an interesting element of, of, of horsemanship, of training. That's more about being aware of the, athlete, the athlete's state of health. Sure. Yeah. No, knowing your, your animals. And knowing your yeah. animals. Yeah. yeah. That's so it's kind of fun. Huh. So... So yeah, so what's next for TCA? We oh, need the, the, the makeover's coming the up. The makeover is coming up uh, in October, yep. And it, it, that's such a juggernaut. You know, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger every year. Um, as I think I mentioned, we were there the first year. It was just like five horses or something. Yeah, I remember were, yeah, Stuart, Stuart was riding. The, he was actually riding he was in the makeover. <laughs> right. yeah. um, it was more like a, I think, even exhibition style. It really you was. Know, I don't it know. Was. There That's was so much of competition at right. that point. Um, I think people voted for the best one. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Ichabod Crane, I think, was Ichabod the first Crane. That's winner, right? right? That's right, yep. that's right. I remember him being there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, that's just exploded, of course, what, three or four years ago. Now they moved to the Kentucky Horse Park, right. which is in our backyard, so that's very convenient. Um, but, yeah, we're looking forward to supporting that event again, and it's just... It's done so much for our industry. It's increased the value of thoroughbreds coming off of the track, you know, um, because it's giving them it's giving them at least a, a year of retraining Correct. in one of ten different disciplines. Sometimes yep. cross training, you know. Sometimes absolutely. they have one horse that's in the competitive trail as and well as the hunter or yeah, something. Or the yeah, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So, um, giving a horse more skill is obviously going to make them more marketable in yes. the long run. Um, so it's just that, that Jen Royce, who's the executive director, does a wonderful job and, and her staff with, with, the, with the program and it's, it's really made a huge impact, I think, in, in aftercare overall. Right. You know? I agree. And I also feel that, again, horsewise, we're so into education and it's a really unique way to educate. So instead of lots of articles and demonstrations, what they do is they create this incredible event and incentivize taking in thoroughbreds to retrain them from right off the track. And then people share their stories. So I'm, I'm approved as an RRP trainer and I love just following everyone's stories. And, but you're also getting a lot of information on training. You're getting a lot of information on care. You see a lot of networking. You see a lot of mentoring mm-hmm. happening yeah. and it's very organic. 
And as a result, I think that has not only, of course, obviously raised the value of the thoroughbreds coming back into the show ring, but it also has created a lot more awareness about education, proper handling, proper horsemanship, taking your time with certain right. things. Um, thoroughbreds used to have a big reputation, oh, they're crazy. And now it's like, hey, you're learning all these steps and you're also learning that each of these horses is an individual. That's right. So, but to have that all in that community, I think they've done a great job with that and yeah. just very impressive. I agree, I agree. And I think you hit the nail on the head with the word community. It seems like they're all very sort of supportive of each other and all, I mean, the trainers and the participants. Um, and they are a community, you know, they're kind of all rooting for each other and sharing their experiences And I know there's several Facebook groups about yes. the RRP and the road to the makeover and um, you know The participants are able to ask questions of other Absolutely. competitors. They do, they do and, webinars and yeah. also each competitor not every competitor But most competitors end up starting their own Facebook page for their journey for their with horses, their horse, right? So it just creates this environment again. It's not something that is micromanaged yeah but they give a strong framework and encouragement right. and and usually the people who are the best at bringing these horses into second careers are the ones that inevitably people start to listen to because they they're demonstrating their success and and everybody loves thoroughbreds so you right. kind of get that it's just it's like you're a harley owner or something it's like yeah. it's that same kind of <laughs> sense of and i think that that's really great that that's come together like that. Yeah, know? and I like I like the realness, the rawness yes. of it yes. too. Yeah, because you know if any, it's not all horse, Yeah, all <laughs> horse owners, all horse owners know you're gonna have a bad day. You know, right. not every day that you go ride no. is gonna be you know your best day. So, I especially like when some of the participants, you know, when they're talking about their yeah. experience of that day or whatever. You know, they're just like, look, it was a bad day. We got in a fight. You know, horse won. Right. Um, right. Because then you're, it makes you feel better, I think, as, as a trainer. Like, okay, I'm not the only one. Right, like, exactly. We're all in this together. Right, right. right. Um, it happens to everyone. Well, you have the so. mystery abscess that, like, won't oh, go yeah. away. Yes. It's like, I know yeah. a lot of, there, I know Texas was like this, but there are many parts of the country, including Kentucky, yeah. that have had unusually wet yes. years. And it's yeah. just like, oh, it's mud everywhere. And it's mud season. Mud season. Season. Winter and, and then mud season. Yeah, it's yeah. just like that's not helpful for no. my training plan. No, it's really not. <laughs> right. So yeah, I appreciate that yeah. too. Real camaraderie. So. Yeah. Yeah. So and again, I bring up the makeover. Obviously, Horsewise loves that event, but it's also, again, TCA has been a primary supporter of it, and that's a, a creative look at aftercare, like how to support aftercare. Like you said, it isn't just about the horses as they come off the track. It's once they are rehomed. How do how how does aftercare the industry and aftercare promote their ongoing value? And so that's so I think it's just a very creative and effective thing mm -hmm. to be funding. Yeah, and yeah, I, I think so too. Um, you know, because it's like I said, it's just made such a big impact and the overall evolution of aftercare in the last what six seven eight years in our industry has been pretty staggering. It I mean, has. We I'm, I'm not one to pat myself on the back or pet it, you know, but, but looking at the industry as a whole, I mean, I think the industry has done a phenomenal job. I think so too. Of, of focusing its efforts coming together, which is, can be tough, um, on aftercare. And, you know, maybe TCA has, has certainly played a small part in that, I hope, but, um, you 30, know, 30 years worth. 30 years, years worth. worth. Yeah. yeah. 
to see uh, where we are now, looking back maybe where we were 10 years ago, there's mm -hmm. been a lot of forward uh, momentum. And, you know, certainly we're not done yet. There's no. a lot more that has to happen. Um, Including internationally. Internationally, right? Yeah. 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 Um, but, it, you know, I think the, the, the time is now and we're going we're gonna to press forward. Yeah, great. Well, Erin, I really appreciate your time. It was sure. so much fun to interview you. And I also want my listeners to know that Erin's uh, going on vacation tomorrow, so <laughs> she was especially gracious to allow me to interview her. And I drug her back into the office where other people saw her and <laughs> began to ask her about work. So, But I also, you, you said you were going on vacation. You're going to go to Wyoming? I am. I'm not doing a pack trip this time around. Maybe, hopefully, I can squeeze one in later in the year or something. But... I'm uh, going to Portland, Oregon for a couple days and then um, over to Cheyenne, Wyoming for Frontier Days. It's so great. Yes. It's so great. I, um, I don't know. I grew up writing English and, you know, kind of um, have always been in that, that equestrian world. But there's something about the, the Western world as well that I, I, I love. I love it too. I appreciate it. And, you know, every pack trip I've done has been in a Western saddle. Yeah. And it's just, I, don't, I, I, I appreciate that, that part of it. Um, and, of course, you know, there's big rodeos at Frontier Days and the concerts and it's 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 Wyoming so you yeah, can't go wrong with that. No, you can't go wrong with that. I love the western yeah. lifestyle too. I also grew up kind of on the east coast mm -hmm. and uh, and once I came to Texas I was like this is great yeah. and still really appreciate you know the tradition that I came from but I just enjoy it so right. much so that's another thing we share in common. I, I predict we will be on a pack trip sometime in the future. Let's do it! That would be great! Yes. So, well yes. thank you again, it was great to have thank you. Thank you for having me.